0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Again to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we're kind of on the wind up of going through Ephesians, although we're going to have a little break because... I'm having a little break, so, uh, but I'll come back to it uh, fairly soon. But now we're on the, the armor of God, spiritual warfare. So verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. I suppose as modern uh, people, we are very uh, conscious uh, of how we dress. The fashion industry has a huge influence on everything that we buy and everything that we wear. There are those that prefer the casual look. There are those that like the the trendy designer designer gear. Uh, The latest designs, no doubt, though they look beautiful in many cases, uh, and they're wonderful for the catwalk, but they are totally inappropriate for battle dress. They're just not good. The soldier on the front lines doesn't dress to impress. He's clothed for conflict. He's dressed for defense. He's attired for attack. And in the spiritual arena that you and I uh, find ourselves in, whether we want to be there or not, it's inevitable that spiritual battles will come our way at some point in our Christian walk. And as opposed to some degree or other, we're engaged in that every single day because the Bible says we constantly face face the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so other times, though, it's much more specific. It's uh, sustained attacks in some area of our life. It's more focused. It's more concentrated. It's more targeted. And at those times, then, we certainly become much more aware that the evil one, the enemy of our souls, is working against us. Therefore, Paul says, we have to put on the whole armor of God. We have to get into battle fatigues. And as we said this morning, these are invisible. Uh, This is invisible dress. These are invisible weapons that we have because we are facing an invisible foe. And so as somebody once said, this is not a playground, this is a battleground as Christians that we are involved in. And so far we have looked at two items of the battle dress, the belt of truth, and the breastplate of righteousness. And right now, tonight, we are going to examine our footwear. Verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The first century Roman infantry soldier. Again, Paul was very au fait because he saw many of them. And so he would take note of their dress and when he would look down at their shoes uh, and there's various historians, has various ideas about the shoe. Uh, but what we will say is this, uh, that they were very, very strong, very hard wearing and on the soles of them some say, actually, they were, they were bronze and copper soles, but others that they were leather soles with sparbles with metal pieces in them. And there would be leather uh, thongs uh, that they would tie around them to make sure they were actually able to keep them on their feet when they're marching. And they would tie them around their ankles and then right up maybe to their knees. And then they had these metal greaves, these bronze uh, plates around the, the shin area Uh, that would go right down to the shoes in order in case they were attacked uh, there because if they got uh, attacked on their legs or their legs broken or whatever, then they would be easy prey for their opposing uh, forces. And so they were well suited and booted for their particular uh, battlefield. Now our shoes are somewhat different uh, because they're spiritual shoes. They're invisible spiritual shoes that we wear. Because we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Although, as I said last week, flesh and blood may come against you, but it's what's energizing the flesh and blood that comes against you. It's what energizes the person who comes against us. That's where the real battle is. Because oftentimes the person who comes against you has no idea why. Why should they hate you? They don't even know you. Why should they come against you? You haven't done anything to them. And so oftentimes they're energized by the evil one and they don't even know that. And and Paul uh, had occasions where that happened. Alexander did me much harm, he says. The Lord reward him according to his works. And so we're warring against invisible foes, but nonetheless real foes. And they are very formidable. They really are formidable, and that's why we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Having your feet shod means to be sure-footed. To be sure-footed. To be able to stand is very, very important in a battle. And to make sure that your shoes stay on because remember that these soldiers, these Roman soldiers, would walk large distances over very rough terrain. And their faded often would be in rough terrain. And so they had to make sure that those shoes were strong and well fitted and well tied on because they were dependent upon them. And so we likewise... Our spiritual footwear has got to be good. It's got to be suited to the battles that we're going to have to face. The devil wants to wrong foot us. He wants us to stumble. He wants to trip us up. So therefore, we've got to take care to be able to stand in evil day and not to lose our balance, not to be swayed to the right or to the left, but to be able to stand tall and straight and erect to fight the enemy that's coming against us. Devil loves to distract us. When he comes to attack, he wants to distract, first of all, and get us off balance. Uh, The psalmist in Psalm 73, the psalmist Asaph, uh, psalmist Asaph was one of David's choir directors. Uh, David had 24 7 uh, music uh, in the temple he had teams of people he had groups of people who would praise God continually and Asaph was one of those choir directors he was a godly man he was a good man he was a man who loved the house of God he was a man who would be in the house of God all of the time he's a man who would be thinking about praise and worship he'd be a man who would be, be making uh, songs and psalms and tunes in order to sing He says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And when you read down there a little bit, you'll see that for some reason or other, he had got his eyes off god and the ministry that he was in and onto the world they seemed to be prospering and he didn't seem to be that's what the context is uh, there seemed to be he looked at them and no matter how bad they were they seemed to be getting on in life and doing very well thank you very much and here he was he serving god night and day and he looked around him and he didn't seem to be getting much benefit materially out of it and so he got a little bit envious at the wicked so that was the context. And he says, my feet had almost stumbled. We would almost say I nearly backslid. <laughs> but he says, if you go on reading that, then he, as we would say, he caught himself on. He began to think, do you know what? Whenever he went again into the house of God and he got the perspective right. He began to think, do you know what? God has set their steps in slippery places. They're the ones that's going to stumble, not me. Because I'm going to keep serving God. No matter what, I'm going to serve God. And so what started out, a negative look at life became a very positive look at life. And something changed within him as you read through that psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. And that's what happened to Asaph. He momentarily got distracted. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, and this is of course the story of the sowing of the seed in verse 5 it says and some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth but when the sun was up it was scorched and because it had no root it withered away and so, Jesus is explaining to these disciples about the, the imagery of a seed being sown and how that they, it began to grow up, but it didn't have any root, and because it had no root, then it began to wither away. Now, the disciples, trying to understand what he was trying to tell them, then he explains each of those seeds. And in verse 16, he says, Likewise, These are the ones that are sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves. And so they endure only for a time. Afterwards when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. And over the years I have seen that. I have seen people who received the word gladly and excitedly and they were thrilled and they seemed to be zealous until trouble came. Until the first hurdle came. Until the first battle spiritually. Until the first attack of the evil one. And then they folded. it. Why? Because they had no root. There was no root in themselves. They didn't get rooted and grounded in the very word of God, which we should do. And then when trouble came, they just couldn't handle it. They couldn't stand when the enemy came. And so, a little warning from Jesus about that. In 1 John chapter 2. Verse 9. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. So if we hate our brother, if we just say a brother offends us and we don't deal with that offense, and we let that get in on us. And we let that churn around in on us and take root in on us. And that offense becomes bigger. And, and then that, we, we want vengeance. We, you know, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Then, John says, you will begin to stumble because at that point you're walking in the dark, you're not walking in the light. And it's easy for the devil just to set something in front of your pathway and you're going to stumble over it. And so he says, do not do that. Uh, Thankfully, in Jude 24, uh, Jude writes and he says that that God is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless uh, before the Father. And so God has the ability to keep us from stumbling, but in order for that to happen, we have got to put on the armor of God. We have got to make sure that our feet are shod with the preparation of gospel of peace. We have got to make sure that we have good footwear, that we're not going to be stumbling. And so these are for our uh, admonition. In preparation of the gospel of peace. In preparation means preparedness, readiness, Eagerness. To be prepared, to be ready, to be eager. In 2 Timothy 4 and 2, Paul says to Timothy, to be instant, in season and out of season. To be ready, to be prepared, in season and also out of season. Now the devil's smart. He's smart in this, that often he will not come to you whenever you're rock solid. He'll come to you when you're a bit shaky. He'll come to you when you're ill-prepared. He'll come to you when he feels that you're just not in shape. You know, you watch those nature programs, and you've seen the lions out in the savannah, and they're maybe after their prey, and what do they do? They follow them around. Maybe they're zebras or whatever the case may be, and there's a big herd of them. What do they do? They look for the one who's lagging behind. They look for the one who's weak. They look for the one who's limping and lame. They look for the youngest ones because they're the easiest prey. And, and so we've got to be instant, in season, out of season. We've got to be prepared in season, out of season because you never know when the enemy is going to come against you. You just never know. And so we need to be prepared. We need to have the armor of God on us and ready when that happens. Amen. So we need to be prepared for the gospel of peace. Uh, Holidays are nice, and, and all of us gets holidays. All of us need holidays, and that's wonderful. That's good. Thank God for that. But what you cannot do is take a spiritual holiday. And there's people who take spiritual holidays. I mean, they switch off for a while, and they think they can do that. But you can't. You can't take a spiritual holiday. You've got to be prepared and ready in season, out of season. A Christian man told me one time, he says, I like to go to parties because at a party I can let my hair down. The trouble was he let his guard down. He's not walking with the Lord anymore because he let his guard down. And he opened himself up for things he shouldn't be doing. And so we have to be prepared to live it out and to walk it out and to stand firm with the gospel of peace. The Christian is no better, greater message, no greater witness, no greater testimony than this gospel of peace. And with this gospel of peace, we hold out the word of life. We hold out a word of reconciliation to a lost and a dying world. With this gospel of peace, Christ has made us ambassadors. And we're supposed to hold out the gospel of peace. There's Raymond down there. And over the years, I don't know how many men Raymond's old mates that he used to drink with and gamble with, and he's followed them up, and I don't know how many he has led to the Lord. Some of them, when they were dying on their deathbed, that's holding out A word of life. That's holding out the word of reconciliation. That's the gospel of peace that we have got that we can do. It's so liberating. It's so empowering. It's so illuminating. It's so life-changing. No wonder hell rages against it. The devil doesn't want you witnessing. He doesn't want you to talk to your family members. He doesn't want you to talk to your neighbors or anybody because he knows the potential for that life to be absolutely Changed. No wonder then you get assailed with powers of darkness. What is the gospel of peace? All mankind by virtue of our fallen nature are alienated from the life of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, Isaiah 53 says. And so before we came to Christ, we were alienated from the life of God. We wanted to live our life our way. Uh, we were going down a pathway of our own choosing. But thank God, somebody's prayers caused the Holy Spirit to come to us. And, and we begin to think of eternal things and begin to think about the road we were on. We begin to think of this pathway. Romans three, ten, and 12. There is none righteous, no, not one. There are none that seek after God. They have all gone out of the way. They have become unprofitable. There is none that does good, no, not one. Paul leaves us in no doubt that we hadn't got a leg to stand on. That's what he said that when we came before God, we had nothing to merit or earn any of his blessings or his salvation or his grace. It all had to be of his mercy and his grace and his love. The Bible paints a very depressing picture of the man outside Christ. John said he's condemned already. Christ didn't come to condemn the unsaved man or woman because they're already condemned. He came to save us from that condemnation. Thank God he did Apostle Paul says that we were alienated from the life of God he said that we were without hope in this world Jesus said that a man is lost he's perishing and he's damned and those are very powerful words for the Son of God to say isn't it? lost perishing and damned that's why the man needs the gospel of peace he needs reconciled back to God and the wonderful thing is that we can be reconciled to God. And that, that's in essence, is the message of the gospel, to reconcile men back to God, to realize, as we were, that man is lost outside of Christ. He's eternally lost. He's gone to hell. That's the fact of it. And we were in that lost place, but we've been reconciled to God through Christ. So we need to reach out. And let them know one way or another that they can be reconciled back to God. In Colossians chapter one, <laughs> Colossians chapter one, and verse nineteen to twenty two. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, in Christ that is, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And so, what a wonderful thing reconciliation is, in Romans chapter 5, Verse six, we read part of this this morning. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated His own love toward us, that in that, that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Listen to this. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We have received the reconciliation. But it doesn't stop there. Because now our job is to be reconcilers. Our job is to show men and women this reconciliation to get them to come to Christ and to be saved. And so this is part of our spiritual armoury. This is part of our gospel of peace that we are to show lost men. 2 Corinthians 5:17 to 21 talks about our ministry of reconciliation. Now, I know that not every one of us stands in the office of an evangelist. There is an office of an evangelist. And some men and women are gifted with the gift of the office of evangelist. It just flows, it's just natural, it's as easy as breathing to them. But every one of us has been given a ministry of reconciliation. So every single one of us, without exception, can lead a person to Christ. Now we may struggle and think, oh dear, what am I going to say if I go to my loved one? What if they refuse me? What if they reject me? What if they tell me to get out? What have you lost? But you could gain. Maybe they would receive you. Maybe they would accept what you say. Maybe they would want to get saved. You might be the one who can lead them to Christ and every single believer has the ability by the help of the Holy Spirit to reconcile people to God I saw young Jimmy there just a couple of weeks ago standing outside the in Lisburn giving tracts out and talking and as we went past there he was talking to somebody his own age and then as we went past again the second time then there was a little crowd around him all his own age and he was talking away to them what's he trying to do? reconcile them to God And he got that audience, because he was bold enough to go out there and do that. You say, well, I I don't think I could do that. I'm not sure if I could do that. But what about a one-on-one? What about somebody you work with or live beside or whatever? What about somebody that, that maybe in conversation, it just starts to go? Again, Raymond and Joyce, just the other night, there was a relative come into their home. I haven't seen them for years, they said. And just as they were beginning to, just to talk just a bit general thing, suddenly the guy said something that just opened the door for a whole conversation about Christ. And it wasn't forced, it wasn't pushed on him. He opened the door by something he said, and they were straight through the door. <laughs> and, and it's nice if you just listen sometimes for something that's said that you can pick up on. Somebody may say, boy, the word's in a terrible state. And you can say, it really is. Do you know why it's in a terrible state? Have you ever thought about the state of the word's in? Why is it in that state? And then you can start to share that way. So there's all kinds of little ways you can do the ministry of reconciliation. See, this is part of the gospel of peace. Now that we have been reconciled to God, we have peace with God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Uh, We have made our peace with God. So there's a peace between God and us since we came to Christ. So we're no longer alienated from God. Our lives are head with Christ in God. We're no longer without hope because Peter says he has given us a lively hope or a living hope. Something that's real, not hope so isn't. Something that's sure and real. And since we have peace with God, then we have the peace of God. And there's a difference between the peace with God and the peace of God. To be born again, you need peace with God. We need to be reconciled to God. That animosity, that has broken down, and we're reconciled to God. We have peace with God. But the peace of, of God is different. Now that we have peace with God, we're born again, we're saved of God's Spirit. But then, in the midst of battle and struggle and a fight spiritually, we need the peace of God. Jesus says, my peace, I leave with you. My peace, the peace that I've got, I leave that with you. My peace, I leave you. My peace, I give unto you. Not as the word gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's the peace of God. And so that's something that people who have peace with God can receive. Those who have no peace with God doesn't have the peace of God. <laughs> but those who have the peace with God, then we can receive the peace of God. Oftentimes you find yourself in a struggle and you pray and you ask God for help and you get a peace in your heart. You don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how to go about this, but a peace of God comes into your heart and calms your spirit. And helps you to be peaceful and so we're to be ready we're to be prepared we're to be able to wear the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace and Isaiah 52 there's a beautiful verse there verse 7 how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news <laughs> glad day when somebody shared the gospel with you glad day when you heard the good news glad day when somebody witnessed glad day when somebody gave you something to read about eternity somebody came with the preparation of the gospel of peace they're wearing those gospel shoes and they walked into your life and they changed your life you know many of us we have loved ones who are not saved and we're praying for them and we have talked to them that many times you thought i can't say anymore i've done it a thousand times they're not listening to me pray that somebody else will come across their path somebody with those gospel shoes on will come in their workplace or their university or their school and they'll just say the right word at the right time and something will click in their mind or in their heart How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation. And so these are the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. In the day of battle, we can be secure because we have peace with God and because we have the peace of God. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. After all that Paul had faced, we mentioned some this morning, after all that Paul had faced, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have run my race. Huh. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which passes all understanding, shall guard. There Paul uses another military term, shall garrison, just like soldiers on sentry duty, sentry duty standing around you guarding. Shall guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's what the peace of God does to you. When the enemy is trying to bombard your heart and your mind, the peace of God can garrison stand around Isaiah 26 and 3 and we're finished you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee (laughs) whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are lovely, if they're a good report if they're virtuous and on and on, think on these things (laughs) that's what Paul says And so it's something that you have to train yourself to do because it doesn't come naturally. This is a spiritual battle. It's not a natural thing. It's not flesh and blood. It's in the spirit world. And so we have to think differently. I will keep him in perfect peace. His mind is stayed on thee. It's not easy. When everything's raging around you, it's not easy to anchor your mind on Christ and anchor your mind in the word of God. But if we do, then the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal, or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk.